morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Lot to do today. The Los Angeles Angels are in town, coming off of one of the, yet again, one of the greatest single days we'll ever see a baseball player turn in from Shohei Otani. He threw a complete game one hitter yesterday against the Tigers. Then in the second leg of that bat, doubleheader, hit two home runs. Now, he did leave that game, the second game, with cramping. It didn't sound after the game like there's much to worry about there. Would still anticipate we're seeing Shohei Otani this weekend, uh, in large part also because the Angels are going for it. We talked about it a lot yesterday. We'll continue to touch on it today. We've got uh, Voice of the Angels and happens to be doing play-by-play on the Apple TV broadcast uh, tonight. Wayne Randazzo uh, a little later. We've got Zach Kreiser of Yahoo Sports coming on. We've got Craig Goldstein of Baseball Prospectus. A reminder, it is an Apple TV game tonight, so you won't have it on Sportsnet Television, but we'll have it for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Ben Shulman and Madison Shipman. Show Ali will have you uh, post-game. Of course, later on today. You'll have Blair and Barker 5-7 to seven to set you up for that series and continue to talk deadline as well. Uh, joining us now is Jeff Blair, the co-host of Blair and Barker and Jay's Talk most days. Jeff, how you doing this morning, man? I'm doing well, Blake. How are you? Just following Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, seeing what's going to happen today. That's uh, that's the mode right now. A whole bunch of tweet deck columns up. Got to hope one of those weird things that have been happening on Twitter lately with the the rate limits or things just not working. Got <laughs> got to hope those hold themselves off until uh, until Wednesday. Jeff, I, I know you've done a, a handful of trade deadlines before. Does this week still get you pretty excited as a an analyst and a fan? Yeah, I'm. You know, especially when the team you focus on is is in the race. I have to admit, I've done probably more of these things with the team that's out of the race uh or certainly not in a position to uh you know to to make a significant acquisition and and this is uh, this is much much more preferable than than some of the other trade deadlines uh you know the the wrinkle this year of course was Shohei Otani uh and I, I didn't think he'd be moved but I didn't think we'd see the Angels do what they are doing either. I, I really thought maybe partly because of some of the questions surrounding their ownership that there would be almost a, almost a just kind of a treading water aspect to what the Angels did. I certainly didn't expect them to go in for Lucas Giolito and, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and Reynoso. Um, and uh, sorry, Ronaldo Lopez, and I didn't expect them to do that. And I certainly, uh, I, I got a feeling they'll probably do more. I think they have to, right? If you're going to push chips in for Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, and you've Absolutely. got as many holes as you like, you you can't signal that you're going for it to keep Shohei and make the playoffs, and then only half go for it. Jeff, when you look at that team, how how complicated is it for you to figure out what they may need? And I and I ask that not because their holes aren't obvious, but because they've got an injured list a mile long with a bunch of guys who will probably be back, but we don't necessarily know when or to what level. You know, I think we can maybe write off Rendon at this point, but a Drury, a Mike Trout, some relief arms, uh, they're in a bit of a weird spot where even if they want to go, continue to go all in from here, where exactly to address is a a little bit unclear because the injury situation. Are you feeling that as well when you look at this Angels roster? Yeah, I mean, I think where where the Rangers are right now, um, almost the default position is add pitching. Uh, if 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 you get those guys back in the lineup, um, you know you'll you'll find a place for them. Obviously, they'll they'll come back in and they'll they'll take the regular spot. 
But just as a hedge, you, know, you may have to look at the fact that it's going to be hard to replace Mike Trout or Brandon Drew. Whenever these guys get back, I mean, it, it's going to be hard to hold the fort until then in terms of position players. I would just assume go out and kind of load up in pitching, and then we'll worry about making the rest of it work. You know, it's it's pretty clear that for this year at least, um, payroll's not an issue for these guys. So that's kind of the approach I would take. I, I would I would just load up and you know, hey, if I get two relievers back, well, we'll figure that out as we go along. But right now, I think the fact that you saw them go after two pitchers kind of suggests the route that they're that they're going to go on. But I mean, you're right. It, it's I mean, gosh, I, Mike Trout, you're getting Mike Trout back. Hmm. How do you measure that, right, if you're, if you're the Angels? But I, I do think the default position is always load up in pitching. If you, can't, if you can't address position players, load up in pitching because at some point you'll make it all work. I, I agree with that, and I think you look at their rotation even with Lucas Giolito, and, and you still feel like you could be more comfortable sure. um, with it. Now, now, Jeff, I, I know you know at, uh, around the Jays, we've talked a little bit more about adding a hitter, adding a reliever, so maybe I haven't dug into the starting pitching market as deeply, but I'm curious if you found the asking price or, or the return on Giolito and Lopez, who are both pure rentals uh, just for for the remainder of this year and the angels are taking on about five million in owed salary to those guys which right now projects to push them into the competitive balance tax uh they give up per baseball america their number two and number three prospect did, did that seem a, a little rich to you did did that surprise you at all given that both of these guys they got back are rentals i not really only because i don't again the value of your prospects is only what the acquiring team thinks they are, right? I mean, it, it always amazes me that we go into the trade deadline. At the end of the trade deadline, people will look at deals that are made and they'll go, well, my goodness, you know, Team X got this guy and they only had to give up their third and fourth or their third and 10th rank prospects. Why didn't we get that guy? And we could have given up our third and eight. It, it doesn't work that way. Like, with all due respect to the people who rank prospects, it's irrelevant, if my organization is really keen on that 20-year-old left-hander that MLB Pipeline has listed as your organization's seventh-ranked prospect, it doesn't matter. He may be the guy that I'm zeroing in on. So I don't, I don't really pay attention to uh, the quote-unquote cost when it comes to prospects. What does surprise me in the case of the Angels is the fact that it's a bold move for an organization that is going to, at some point down the road, even if Shohei Otani stays, you know, they're going to need cheap contributors unless they want to be in the competitive balance tax for for the next decade, which I'm sure they don't. And and that's kind of where I I wonder a bit about the Blue Jays and wonder where the Blue Jays are because you do need players to contribute on the cheap. I mean, it sounds it sounds kind of silly when you have a $250 million payroll, but it is true. It's nice to have somebody come in and pitch out of your bullpen on a regular basis and be making $700,000. That's that's nice, right? It's, it's nice to have a catcher who's going to drive in 60 runs and be making $4 million when you're paying big money to other players. So that surprises me a little bit in terms of what the Angels are giving up. But beyond that, 
I mean, you know, baseball people always think they can reinvent the wheel, right? And they may you can look at some organizations prospect and think that you just absolutely need that guy because you know your pitching people say, man, if you get that guy in our organization, we put him down on the lab, we got something. So that's why I always kind of take the the uh, the quote unquote rankings of the minor leaguers I, w- with a considerable grain of salt. And to your point there, um, Edgar Caro, the the main piece in that trade, everyone seems to agree is a high end prospect. But Kai Bush, the other name, depending on who you ask, number three prospect in the system, number nine prospect in the system, and then you get into well, that's not even a very good system to begin with. So uh, right. I, I think that's that's well said, Jeff, and some good context to keep in mind. Uh, so the Angels are here this this weekend, massive series for them. Of course, they've they've cut the lead in the wild card now down to three games by by playing so well of late convincing ownership to kind of continue to ride this out here um, they'll play three against the toronto blue jays this feels like a pretty big stretch ahead for the jays as well uh deadline aside they've got the team that's chasing them in the wild card for three here they've got the team they're chasing in the american league east for four uh next week and then the they visit the boston red sox who have eaten their lunch all season uh, mm. you look at this 10 game stretch here deadline aside how, how pivotal do you think this is for the blue jays to play some some of their better baseball uh these next two weeks i mean i, I think this is the biggest stretch of the year if they don't take three or four from Baltimore, I think you can pretty much stick a fork in their chances of, of winning the division. Um, you know, and I think some people probably already already have done that, and I may have been guilty of doing that a little too early. But, I, yeah, with, with, without question, you, you mentioned, you know, we focus on the Orioles and it's around the trade deadline. It's the Red Sox series that it really, really has my attention because you're right, the Red Sox have absolutely owned them. And the Red Sox are just... I worry about the Red Sox. I, wor- I I was talking to Barker about this yesterday. I almost worry about the Red Sox more than I worry about the Baltimore Orioles because I've just seen the Red Sox win when I think they've been awful. <laughs> right? And I, I, I'm keeping an eye on them more than any other team at the deadline. And I, I have no idea why that is. Uh, it's just the messages coming out of Boston are so weird. And that lineup has just become so good that if if they can somehow figure out their pitching equation, um, and and you know I think to that end the Giolito deal probably probably resonated in Boston more than anything else. But if they can figure out their pitching, I I have real concerns about that team uh, in the AL East. But you know Blake, the look the Angels have sent a message. The Angels made their big deal. And they're starting Lucas Giolito tonight. Like, that tells you how big the Angels think this series is, isn't it? You know, Perry Manassian, I think, is a guy who worked for J.P. Ricciardi. He's a guy who worked for Alex Anthopoulos. That was kind of an Anthopoulos-like deal in that, you know what? I'm going to need these two starting pitchers. Maybe I have to give up more than I want, or maybe I have to take on more money than I want in order to get that guy in today instead of having to wait until Wednesday. And and I'm a big fan of that. Like, if you need starting pitching at the trade deadline, if you know you're going to be looking for starting pitching at the trade deadline, why not make the deal a week earlier or two weeks earlier? It's not going to change. And, yeah, you may have to pay more. You may have to take on money. But I'd rather go ahead and make that deal. And that, that quite frankly, is, is why I'm a little surprised we haven't seen more from Ross Atkins. You know, unless there's some sort of 
payroll pressure, which I, I don't think there is. Uh, I mean, we've known what the Jays' needs have been for the past month and a half. And Yenis' Cabrera, I think, was a nice start towards addressing that. But surely that can't be the last move. And quite frankly, if I'm Ross, I want those guys in here for the first game of the Orioles series. Like, I want them in now. I want them against the Angels who are chasing me for that wild card spot. I want to have those guys in hand right now. And that, that kind of puzzles me a bit about... Uh, about this organization's approach this year. Me too, and I and I do that as early as like May. Like, hey, you know, this um, is going to be a need. Let, let's absolutely. let's get after it. Absolutely. Like, there's nothing. The we've seen. Okay, Matt Chapman's gone up and down. Bit of a roller coaster, but the needs have been pretty consistent, right? The needs have been I, an impactful middle of the order hitter would be great. You're probably not going to get that. Somebody though that puts a different wrinkle into an into an offense that. Uh, is in, or I should say into a lineup that seems to be at times a little too uneventful right <laughs> and 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 more arms for the back of the bullpen starting pitching I'm fine with starting starting pitching doesn't 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 bother me at all with this team but the needs have been there for you're right going back to May like nothing nothing has changed I don't think with this team that much since May Bo still Bo Vladdy's kind of Vladdy. Uh, Matt Chapman's going to be good. He's going to be bad. He's going to play good defense. You know, Whit Merrifield, that is, that's great. But, I mean, other than that, this is pretty much the team we've seen all year. It is. And, you know, the, all we, you always are going to need bullpen help, whether you address that in May or, or in uh, in July. Now, the starting pitching thing, Jeff, before we get into some of the, the nittier, grittier uh, deadline stuff, when it comes to the starting pitching, we, we should probably at least uh, take a look at the fact that Hyunjin Ryu is due back next week. By August 3rd, the Blue Jays have to make a decision on that. So uh, it looks like they have decided, hey, we'll punt that until after the deadline, see how the 40 man and things like that uh, shake out. We, we've heard John Schneider talk potentially about a six-man rotation. I know you and Barker have kicked it around on Blair and Barker as well. Um, how do you feel uh, about that idea, even if it's just for one or two times through the rotation during this this heavier stretch that starts tonight? You know, I think Buck talk, talked about this uh, during one of the games in L.A., and I, I think he's right. I think the plan ought to be how do I ensure that I have a rested, healthy Kevin Gossman available for the biggest games. I want Kevin Gossman pitching at least once in every series against you know, a big team, quote-unquote big team in air quotes. I want him pitching at least once against teams I have to win. Whatever I have to do to get that lined up, I do it because it's pretty clear that Kevin Gossman, one, is their best pitcher, but also, two, I think we can say that it I'm a little suspicious about the side and I think it's certainly something that needs to be monitored and the more rest you can give Kevin Gossman he's a smart enough guy that he'll he'll figure it out if you give him an extra day here or there in fact we've seen that he's actually a better pit, pitcher mm -hmm. on extra on extra days rest so that that's how I'm looking at this if I'm the Blue Jays I want to get as many starts as possible from Kevin Gossman against the Orioles against the Red Sox, and then when we get into September, against you know the meat of the AL East down the stretch. So whatever I have to do to do that, six-man rotation, 10-man rotation, opener, whatever I have to do to get Gossman lined up to pitch those games, 
and maybe also factor in that I'd like to have. And I know this is all very. This is going to be very hard. You're not going to be able to do everything. It was pretty clear that Chris Bassett and, and Jose Brios are better at home. So if I can kind of maneuver things so that I've got I've optimized my chances with those three pitchers, I think that's probably the approach the Blue Jays will take. And if that is a six, if I've got to have a six man rotation, great. If I have to shorten it up. Fine. Whatever I need to do in order to line to line that up is, I think, what the Blue Jays have to do. Because barring something amazing at the deadline, this team is only going to go as far as the starting pitching continues to take it. And we know, uh, I think we know anyway, who the three guys getting the ball in a, in a three-game wildcard series would be right now. They're the three guys you just talked about there that you want to... Uh, you want to maximize and hey, look, the other guys got to get you to the playoffs. They got to help mm-hmm. you get there, but you know, you're not starting six guys in the playoffs. So focus on maximizing uh, the guys you're, you're going to need. Hey. Yeah. And I, and I got to say this, and I know Barker's talked about this. I don't know about you, but I'm much more comfortable this year with the possibility of you Kikuchi moving into the bullpen than I was last year. Yeah, I, I think so. I think you look at what he was able to do in the bullpen last year as a strikeout artist. You look at how good the stuff is, and now he's got the command under control a little bit better. I exactly. think, you know, I, I don't, you can't put the bar at Andrew Miller, but that type of usage, hey, sometimes a high leverage inning, sometimes two innings. If you can get him there, you know, buy in wise and preparation wise, I think that that's a, a pretty exciting piece for them. Um, given what you know about Kikuchi and how last year went, do you think that that's something that, that he could find himself embracing toward the end of the year? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. Um, you know, Andrew Miller's a great comp. I think Kikuchi's smart enough to realize that this isn't, if, if this move were to be made, if it were to be talked about, it's clearly not a punishment, right? It, it's this, this gives us a better chance of winning. And I, I think a lot of that, too, will depend on what they're able to do at the trade deadline. Maybe they land a reliever, in which case that goes off the table. But, you know, just watching him pitch, watching him pitch with runners on base and the difference in terms of how he approaches hitters in that situation this year compared to last year, it's like night and day. And that really does make me think that he could be a valuable bullpen arm for this team. And Andrew Miller is, is a great comp. I mean, if he could, if, if the Jays, if things lined up so that the Jays could use him the way Andrew Miller was used, um, not only is that good for the Jays, but you know, Kikuchi's got another year left in his contract. Uh, If he, if he shows he's capable of transitioning into a role like that, that will just make him more valuable when he goes back in the free agent market. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And obviously, you know, we're a year and change away from that. But every little data point helps. And, sure. um, you know, teams will pay you, you say, Kikuchi money to, to eat up innings at the back end of the rotation. But look at what we're looking at right now. We're looking at a team like the Astros that has six major league starters and say, well, they need to add pitching. And which one of these guys could be effective for you in a bullpen role it really increases uh, your value to a team. Um, so. You mentioned, you know, some of this will depend on what they do at the deadline. Um, we've kind of kicked around the the priorities and what we've known this team has needed. Have you found yourself kind of as you, you look at names or, or click on, you know, the losing team rosters and things like that? Have you found yourself narrowing in on any one area or, or a small handful of players? Are you kind of in react only mode right now? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the obvious names, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the David Bednars, um, you know, the Jordan Hicks. Uh, I mean, those are the names that immediately that immediately uh, jump out. But I just I don't have a feel. Um, I really don't. I, I really don't have a feel for what for what this team will do this year. Uh, you know, I, I I would like, and I don't. I don't even know if this is possible. But I really like the approach that that Heim Bloom has taken in Boston, and that is trying to do things that will bring controllable players in. Players that will make you better this year, but also contribute to next year. Because I just think I, the Jays are going to have so many holes next year, right? I mean, I God, I love Whit Merrifield. I'm not certain I like him at $19 million or whatever it is next year. Uh, Kevin Kiermaier, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know if he's part of your plan moving forward. Matt Chapman, um, can't see them resigning him. You, you'd hope that you'd go into next year with something a little more settled at second base. Like This is a team that the pitching will be pretty stable going into next year. But this is a team that I think at this trade deadline needs to make moves with an eye towards next year as well when it comes to position players um, and, and get players with some control. And that's, you know, that's hard to do. That, that, that gets back to your, your premium. And it's especially hard to do when you're an organization whose top pitching prospects have, you know, have been hurt this year. And uh, I, I think maybe we don't, we don't talk about that enough, you know. I'm not saying that if Ricky Tiedemann was healthy, you would trade Ricky Tiedemann. Or if Ricky Tiedemann had just, you know, had been healthy from day one, you'd trade him. But it does make your minor league system look a lot better when your top end guys are playing. Right. It, it, there's that kind of when when organizations look at teams, there's that initial wow factor. Right. And if guys who are your best prospects are playing, you tend to pay more attention to that organization. So I think that's that's the approach I'd like to see the Jays take. And once you get into that, once you start talking about players with control, it's awfully hard to look at the rumor mill, right? The rumor mill focuses on dudes who are rental players or, you know, the obvious, the, the Cody Bellingers or something like that. It doesn't tend to focus on guys who are under contract with the team for a couple of years, right? A guy like Ryan McMahon or something like that. You never hear their names on the rumor mill. It's always the guys in the last year of their contract. But it's a dude like Ryan McMahon that I think teams ought to be looking at and yeah it's going to cost you a lot because the Rockies really like him but that's I think where that that's sort of where the Jays should at least be paying an eye you know keeping attention on yeah and McMahon you know four more years of control he's got the extension so you you have the cost certainty even if 56 million over those four years is uh you know maybe higher than than where you're where you'd ideally like to go but you're right and then like you know there's a name like Lane Thomas who's become more popular and I think he's become popular because more than the player he illustrates what we're talking about here where it's like yeah he's about to turn 28 but he has a couple more years of control and how far like are the Nationals trying to compete next year or are they not trying to compete until 2025, 2026 and how that affects the value and things. And you're right, Brandon Barriera, two starts back since his injury. Ricky Tiedemann, just one start back since his injury. On the position player prospect side, Jeff, uh, I just to, to kind of tie this back to something you said fairly early on about the Angels side, when you talk about the need to have inexpensive guys come up and fill holes for you, when you look at the fact that the Blue Jays could potentially have openings at second base, 
third base, center field, and designated hitter this offseason. Maybe they address one of those at the deadline. Maybe they don't. Um, they have a handful of hitters at AAA, a couple at, at AA as well, who are maybe getting closer. D- does that give you a hesitancy to, to pull from that group of prospects who could, you know, let's say Arelvis, David Schneider, Addison Barger, maybe one of those guys is taking the Matt Chapman role next year. Does that make you hesitant to deal from them? Or, or is it a case where, hey, yeah, I'll deal from those guys, but only if it's someone I can plug in for 2024 as well? Yeah, no, I would absolutely, I would absolutely, I'd deal any of them if I can get a player that I've got for a couple of years. Um, you know, I, I look back to the Jose Barrios deal. Think of the reaction at the time. My God, I can't believe they're giving up Austin Martin. And, you know, my top prospect, da da da, etc. So, well, where's Austin Martin? Like, if I'm Ross Atkins, the Jose Barrios deal is the type of deal I'm looking at. A guy with a little bit of control, a guy that I can extend, or a guy with a lot of control, but a guy that I can extend if I really want to. Uh, you know, to me, that was, I, I mean, I, I, I think whatever Ross does in terms of trades down the road, you know, I, I, he's, made, he's actually made some decent deals, but I think that one down the road is going to pay off for a long, long time. And if I can do something like that, I don't think there's any prospect in this organization that I would consider untouchable. You know, everybody you talk to says a lot of the depth is down in the lower ranks. You hear about guys like Tucker Toman and guys like that. Um, I would have no problem moving on from an Arelvis Martinez or or, a, or an Addison Barger. And, uh, you know, even though, as I said, you are going to need somebody to come up and contribute cheaply, I would have no problem moving on from one of those guys. If I can get somebody who is two years into their major league career or three years into their major league career. I, I don't mind paying like eight, nine million dollars for a dude instead of the major league minimum if that dude is a better player and is a guy who is going to give me a chance to contend next year. I think that I think that makes sense. And then there's the additional thing. You know, you've got a handful of those guys. If you deal one or two of them, you still have one or two of them. Uh, this is the whole uh, benefit of having some some depth on the position player side in your organization. It's also been kind of fun lately just to look at those AAA box scores and see everyone play in different positions where the yep. Jays are just like, hey, we don't know where the need's going to be. Everyone be ready uh, to play everywhere. Um, Jeff, before I let you go here, curious as to, in your experience covering baseball teams over the years, um, um, obviously, whether you are in seller mode, and we saw this to today's the anniversary of that Marcus Stroman trade where it was so dramatic and, and uh, a mess in the clubhouse after, and we've seen this, we, you know, you've covered teams ad as well. So whether you're a seller, whether you're a buyer, there's probably a little bit of unrest in that clubhouse the next couple of days. How much do we learn about the clubhouse and about John Schneider in, in terms of how they handle these next five, six games while all of this is going on around them? I don't. I mean, I don't know how much we'll learn about John Schneider. He's managed in the minors where guys are going up, guys are coming down, guys are getting promoted, guys are getting hurt, guys are walking into your office thinking that it's the end of their lives because someone else got promoted instead of them. I, you know, I, I don't know necessarily what we'll learn uh, about John Schneider. Look, I, I think this team's been together for a fair amount of time, right? The core has been there for a while. Um, they know what each other are about. And I think most most clubhouses... Guys know who guys know who isn't going to go. I guess that's probably the way I'd put it. And most teams, you know who isn't going to go. It very seldom is a deal made where a clubhouse is completely blindsided. You know, maybe Milwaukee um, getting rid of Josh Hader, something like that. That obviously blindsided everybody. But uh, that to me has always been kind of the important thing about a clubhouse. If you know who your dudes are 
and you know who is going to be here. Because not everybody's going to be traded in, 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 in that clubhouse, right? And, and if you know the guys that aren't going anywhere, I think if you kind of keep an eye on them and you gravitate towards them and you follow their lead, um, you know, I, I, think, I think you'll be okay. And, and, you know, and I also just think, man, guys are so, guys are so focused on their own thing that unless their agent calls them or they've got, you know, an idea that they're going, I think guys just kind of put their head down and, and keep playing. Um, I will tell you this, though. I would much rather be at home at the trade deadline than be on the road. You're on the road. You're in the hotel room. You got a lot of time to think, right? You're sitting around the visitor's clubhouse. You got a lot of time to think. At home, there's always something going on. And I've had players tell me that. Much better. Much better to be at home at the trade deadline. And even if you are traded, hey, your family's there. It's just easier to get organized. So I've always... I I had a, a bunch of players in one of the very first Expos teams I covered... Uh, a team that was full of guys who thought they were going to be traded. I, I remember them telling me. I remember them saying, hey, I'd much rather be home at the trade deadline because if I got to go, it's just easier to get stuff organized. Packing one bag's easier than packing two when Absolutely. You're, uh, when you're on the road. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time out. Blair and Barker, 5-7 to seven today, and then you guys are in Jay's talk post game on Sunday leading into deadline week. Are we talking about a new player by Sunday for Jay's talk? Uh, yeah, my gut tells me we are. Okay. One or two. All right. I look forward to that. Look forward to hearing you guys and breaking that down. Jeff Blair of Blair and Barker Thanks, of Blake. Jay's Talk on Sunday. Thanks, Jeff. Um, should be a fun couple of days here. I mean, fun couple of days. Even if it wasn't the trade deadline, this weekend's series would be odd. You cannot get a ticket for this weekend. I've had, you know, friends texting me, hey, do you, do you have a line? I Nope. Everyone wants to see Shohei. Hopefully that cramping that he he had in the second game of yesterday's doubleheader is nothing. And we get three DH days of Shohei Otani down here. Kevin Gosman against Lucas Giolito tonight. Alec Manoa against Reed Detmers tomorrow. Jose Brios against Tyler Anderson on Sunday. The Angels now only three games back of the wild card. So these are big ones for the Blue Jays, even without the specter of the trade deadline hanging over everything. That specter does hang over everything, though. So we're going to take a break. We're tagging Zach Kreiser of Yahoo Sports and the Bandwagon Podcast, kick through some of the high-level trade deadline stuff, and take a deeper look at some of these swing teams that here four and a half days out still don't know who the sellers are, who the buyers are in a couple of cases, although the New York Mets firmly made their decision clear yesterday in dealing David Robertson. Uh, Zach Kreiser joins Jay's Talk Plus next on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. And, or four days rather and uh, seven and a half hours last night we saw the New York Mets decide hey you know what we're going to probably be sellers David Robertson uh, he's yours Miami Marlins for the number 14 prospect in the system and an unranked prospect per baseball America uh, we also saw the Los Angeles Angels the day prior to that say hey you know what we're going for it and pushing some chips in to get Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez now there are still a couple teams in that middle ground where we're not 100% sure of their direction. The Padres are the Padres far out of a playoff spot, but still 
pretty darn good on paper. The Cubs have won six in a row. Uh, the Red Sox are just kind of in a weird spot generally. Zach Kreiser of Yahoo Sports wrote about these swing teams earlier this week. He's also the co-host of the Bandwagon Podcast. Zach, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me. I got to ask you, before we get into some of the trade deadline specifics, I I mentioned a Baseball America prospect ranking there. Now, I know, Zach, you are formerly of Baseball Prospectus. We could go Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, Fangraphs, MLB Pipeline. Where do you land in the war between prospect ranking sites? Who do you cite first if you're writing one up well i mean i do cite baseball prospectus first but that is admittedly a bias of having worked there uh i think the the thing to know about this particular one i'll, I'll keep this short but with this particular trade the the thing that is you can't look at any of the rankings because uh this the the, the player traded is a complex league player who <laughs> is really jumping up uh no one had had eyes on him before they got to make these lists and uh so if you're looking for his real performance, you kind of just got to look at how people have been talking about him for the last month or two. And uh, it seems like he's really shooting up the list. I think baseball perspectives had considered him for their top 50, their midseason top 50 overall prospects. Uh, he didn't make the list, but, uh, you know, that tells you something about how he's viewed in the industry now that he's at least in the conversation for top 50 in the you know whole league. Yeah, things change pretty quickly. And as, uh, you know, J.J. Cooper of Baseball America has reminded everyone, as all the prospect guys are, hey, please stop using my preseason rankings. A lot has changed uh, since then. And then a lot of this is obviously, you know, eye of the beholder or or, uh, eye of the organization. So, Zach, um, that trade you know, a couple of the trades we could talk about the, the angels going for it and the Mets kind of pulling out at least as, as far as uh, David Robertson and his expiring contract go. Um, are you surprised that either of those teams made the decision they did? I, I know you wrote about the five bubble teams uh, a couple days ago. We've since then seen two of them pick their path. Did, did either of those path decisions surprise you? Uh, the Mets certainly didn't. Uh, I'd be more surprised if they started moving, you know, if we started to get real traction on a Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer move, I, I think I'd be a little more surprised about that. But uh, the Angels, I think we always knew that team owner Artie Moreno was pretty loath to be the guy who traded Shohei Otani. I can't imagine that was a very comfortable position for Perry Manasian to think of himself in either the GM. So I, I'm not surprised that they are keeping Otani for the rest of the season and rolling the dice. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting how boldly they went for Giolito and Lopez. Uh, not that it was a, a dumb trade by any sense. Uh, you know, they think they have their catcher of the future in Logan Ohapi. So if Cuero is the player that a team wants for good pitching, that's, that you've got to make the move. Uh, I, I was interested that it happened, so it's kind of early, right? It's the Angels jumping the market a little bit by saying, okay, let's stop talking about Otani. We are going to start acquiring people to work with Otani. I kind of liken it to, like, uh, the Avengers. They're trying to assemble this band of people to take Shoh- to help Shohei Otani get to 
uh, the playoffs. And, and so they've, they've started assembling with Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. And I, I would assume they're going to try to add some more. Sadly, given the last 10, 15 years of the Angels franchise, it's probably more likely to be like Suicide Squad instead of uh, instead of <laughs> Avengers. But uh, we'll see how that plays out now. So the Angels, the Angels kind of going forward and your co-host at the bandwagon uh, and your, your counterpart at Yahoo, Hannah Kaiser, ha- had written recently that more teams should be focused on, on the now and maybe not prioritize, you know, this far distant uh, hypothetical future when and I, I know you had tweeted that, that you, you know, agree with Hannah's assertion there when you see a team like the Angels going in um, or or if any of these teams the Cubs for example who are now only four and a half out if they decide to go for it instead of doing the quote-unquote practical or analytical thing and pushing chips to later um, is that a positive for you like do you like to see that the teams on the fringe going forward instead of instead of taking a step back even if it does have the effect of making the deadline uh, you know the market a little thinner I think for the Angels, it's definitely a positive. That is, they are clearly in their best shot that they're going to have for a while because they cannot guarantee that Otani is going to be with their team next year. Mike Trout is only going to get older. Obviously, he's hurt right now, but he he will hopefully come back toward the end of the season. Uh, And they've built up a lot of this roster around the idea of competing in 2023. So I think they, you know, they're one of the teams that it makes sense to push the chips in. This is the peak of the wind curve, even if it's kind of sad, that is the peak of the wind curve. Uh, and I do agree with Anna that a lot of, you know, a lot more GMs than logic states uh, are always working like two to three years down the road. It's like, Oh, we're still building. We're going to be better. We're going to sustain success. I mean, you've seen the Red Sox in this mode for like the past five years. And it's like, when's the peak coming? What is the what is the moment where this is going to happen? Uh, and so I think more teams should. Uh, you know, I think there are some teams that are doing this right now that uh, are not bubble teams. The, the Rangers, I would expect the Rays to be aggressive at the deadline because they realize this may be their best shot. The Cubs, I kind of don't think they should be aggressive. I, I don't think this is their best shot necessarily. And I don't think the core that they've been trying to build has come together well enough that uh, they are ready to compete next year if they don't trade Stroman and Bellinger. Uh, so, so I'd be a little more worried about the Cubs. I think I would sell if I were in their position. I, I just don't think they have a foundation laid to where going for it makes sense. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to complain about the entertainment value of it. If they do, I just, I would personally disagree with the strategy. Uh, the fifth team there that we haven't mentioned yet. That was in your, your bubble teams was the Padres. Now they are six and a half games out of a wild card spot. That's further out than the Cubs, but because our projection systems and metrics love the roster on paper so much, and there's so much actual talent, their run differential is so strong. They actually have better playoff odds than some of these other fringe teams. Uh, I, I know we've heard in recent days that, yeah, if you blew them away, maybe they'd listen on a Snell, a Hater, heck, maybe even a Juan Soto. Um, do you do you anti- like knowing the Padres and AJ Preller and how heavily leveraged on this team they are? Uh, would you be pretty surprised if they ended up selling between now and Tuesday, or do you think that's actually on the table? I'd be very surprised if it was a like a full pure sell. Uh, I think the thing I'd be less surprised about is if they traded one guy out of that trio. And I think Hayter is the most likely uh, to get something that accentuates the team now that, and where they maybe feel they can backfill 
Josh Hader, it's not easy, but perhaps they could move Seth Lugo to the bullpen and move people back and, and still get close to the same level of bullpen that they have now and maybe add to lengthen the lineup or add a starting pitcher because the 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 thing you look at with the Padres over and over again is just, yeah, the Stars are playing well. They do have a good run differential, but they cannot hit with runners in scoring position, it seems, and the bottom of the lineup has obviously been terrible. So, and, and it feels like that's related. Uh, you know, that's hard to prove, but it seems like they can't keep the momentum going through the whole lineup, and that hurts their ability to consistently put runs on the board. Uh, so I would be interested in seeing them take a little bit of a half measure, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they went full buy and like traded the three prospects they do have for something to add to the team and just really put it all on the line for this year and next. So uh, another team that you asked about, and, and I'm doing this with a little bit of, of tongue-in-cheek and maybe some schadenfreude for, for Blue Jays fans, but uh, the other day at Yahoo, you wrote about the Yankees and, and how the questions around Aaron Judge uh, you, you, in your headline was inspiring more angst than hope, which as an angsty person, I, I appreciate the the wording choice uh, there, <laughs> Zach. Um, what about the Yankees? Did they fill the same spot as, as the Red Sox for you where you understand kind of the the half measure or or – is this a Yankees team that should maybe, given the Aaron Judge situation, given the injuries they've dealt with, given that they're now fifth in the AL East, um, maybe look to 2024? How do you feel about the Yankees spot right now? I, I didn't put them in that bubble thing, and maybe I should have, but I I just don't, I don't know how they do much of anything with this team right now. It's, it's very locked in. You know, it's, it's a lot of older, past-their-prime guys who wouldn't have a lot of value if they did try to trade them. And it's a lot of guys performing either below their career levels or they're just hurt and can't perform at all. So you wind up in this weird, stuck situation where you're just hoping that things go back to the way you thought they would. And the thing, you know, that was true of the Yankees last year. It's sort of been true in other years, except they've had much higher levels of performance. They've been winning 99, 100 games in a slightly weaker division. And now that the Rays are dominant, the Orioles are coming, the, the Red Sox are at least a little better than they have been the past couple of years. It's tough to see how this Yankees team, which is increasingly a team, not over just age 30, but over age 32. I mean, you've got a lot of guys kind of on the downswing you've got Aaron judge. If he's not fully healthy, they can't hit at all. It's a really tricky spot. And I, I think what they will do uh, is just buy around the, the margins and try to fill the black hole on left field that they've had, try to add an infielder to take some offensive onus off of these guys. And then they'll kind of reevaluate this in the off season. I, I think the off season is when you're really going to see the Yankees, maybe need to consider shifting the team building strategy they've had because they they have con- consistently just backed away from kind of the elite pinnacle level stars except for their own and except for Garrett Cole, you know, in favor of kind of, okay, well, we'll get Anthony Rizzo when he's past his prime. We'll get Josh Donaldson when he's past his prime and we'll cobble all of these guys together. And I just, it has not worked out. Uh, I can't, I don't think you can say that that plan has worked. And I think they need to consider going back to let's go get the best guy and worry about trading and developing for the rest. And you know, that, that they seem locked in by all of these kind of older, but expensive contracts. 
Uh, yeah, I disagree. I, I agree with the analysis, but the, my outcome, they should trade Anthony Volpe for some other 36 year old and just, you know, go keep going all in for it. Keep chasing it. Aaron Hicks might be available from Baltimore. You, you could make a play for an outfielder who helps your depth there. Um, okay. So Zach, you also had uh, last week in, in teeing up, you know, kind of unofficial deadline week, you had this piece that, that put teams into tiers uh, of aggression for the deadline here. Now um, you had in the, in the group of teams that you think should be, hey, this is an opportunity, you know, the pieces are, are there, push in. You had, along with the Toronto Blue Jays, the Brewers, Marlins, Phillies, Dodgers, Rangers, Rays. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays being in that top group rather than uh, the, the second group, which was, hey, yeah, be aggressive now, but, but keep an eye toward future years as well. Uh, teams more like the Orioles yeah. and Diamondbacks and Reds that have bright futures and don't want to mortgage too much of that. Um, the decision to have the Jays in that top, hey, push it in, be aggressive right now tier. Uh, what went into that? What would you like to see the Blue Jays do over the next couple of days? I think it's just a, a reflection of, you know, some of their best players are either in a contract year, Matt Chapman. Uh, you've got Kevin Gaussman's been pitching like a Cy Young contender and he's you know, I think Galsman has a really good formula for success, but he is a pitcher. He's over 30. There, there are just risk factors associated. And some of the younger guys that the Blue Jays had been counting on, uh, you know, Alec Manoa being the big glaring example, uh, haven't exactly been up to the standard that we kind of thought they might be coming in. So I think it's time to say, okay, we are not talking about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette as rookies anymore. We are we are talking about them as in the middle of their team control. Let's start to say if this isn't our year, what is? You know, the, the Blue Jays are in the, the playoff position right now. Uh, I think there's, if you look at the roster, they have just as many proven performers as the teams ahead of them. They're not getting the 98th percentile performance from some of them like the Rays are or the Orioles are. But to me, that's a reason to say, okay, maybe there's a little bit of a higher level coming in the second half. Let's make sure we reinforce this team so that when September comes, when October comes, it's ready to go. Because, you know, I was, I was talking to someone the other day who talked about how well-rounded the Blue Jays roster looks. And I think that's absolutely true. It is a really well-rounded team, especially if, everyone's performing up to, you know, 75, 80% of their career normal, you, you've got a really solid team there. And I think it would help to give them a little push and make sure that there's nothing, you know, that's going to drag them down outside of their control. Um, I think I would add in the bullpen, I might add one starter uh, if available, although that looks like a pretty limited market right now. So I, I would try to get creative with the bullpen that they, they've had some success tweaking guys and, I'd like to see them add reinforcements there. Um, they could also use just a second baseman or something like that, but the, the hitting market is, whew, it's really dicey. I, I don't know how much hitting there is to go around, honestly. Uh, I mean, enough that a team tried to convince themselves on Ahmed Rosario uh, and his otherworldly bad defense. So that that's what that market uh, yeah. looks like, Zach. Um, any... Uh, in terms of relievers, and this is putting you on the spot a bit, but we've all talked about 50 different relievers at this point. Is there anyone, maybe not under the radar at this point, because we, again, we've talked about so many, but uh, a reliever that is maybe you know not a closer type, but a little further down the pecking order that you you think could help a team, you know, maybe on on the more inexpensive side of things. I don't know if he counts as under the radar, but I, I think someone will go get Kendall Graveman from the White Sox. Uh, 
and and he's been a very successful reliever for several playoff teams. He he seems to be very well liked in all his clubhouses. You'll remember the Mariners almost uh, mutinied over <laughs> his trade a couple of years ago. So I, I think he's a good name. The Royals have two guys who are they both have some flaws. Scott Barlow and Carlos Hernandez. I think with the right team, you might be able to unlock something with those guys and or one of those guys and and get a really useful arm out of it. Uh, Barlow's main issue has been walks. Carlos Hernandez is actually pitching better this year than he ever has before, but I, I could see someone getting their hands on those guys and maybe optimizing them a little bit better than the Royals have. So get ready to sell yourself on a guy with an ERA up in the high fours or, or low fives. But hey, that's that's I mean, that's what happens in 30 inning samples. And when, you know, stuff doesn't necessarily meet results. Uh, Zach, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning, man. I hope you have a blast these next couple of days. Thank you. Have a good one. Zach Kreiser of Yahoo Sports, co-host of the Bandwagon podcast with Hannah Kaiser, um, one of our favorite uh, podcasts on this show. Uh, make sure you check out Zach's kind of a uh, couple different pre-trade deadline pieces there, setting things up in, in tiers of, of aggression. It's, a, I think, a, an interesting way to uh, approach things rather than just, hey, buy or sell. It's like, hey, these are the teams that should be maximizing 2023. These are the teams that should be aggressive, but keep 2024 in mind. These are the teams that should be looking to the future, but not too far down the line. And then here are the Oakland Athletics who should be looking at, like, I don't know, 2040 when they're in Vegas. Um, small piece of news just flowing off of the Jeff Blair conversation we had a little earlier about pitching prospects per Sam Dykstra of MLB Pipeline. Uh, Ricky Tiedemann has been transferred to single-A Dunedin, so he threw a complex league outing on July 21st, last Friday, um, and threw two perfect innings there. He's going to take the next step on his path back to New Hampshire, uh, throwing with Dunedin, I'd assume, if not today, this weekend, given he last pitched uh, seven days ago. Blue Jays in action tonight. You won't be able to see it on Sportsnet. It is Friday Night Baseball on Apple TV+. Plus. We'll have it for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network, of course, but the voice you'll hear instead of Dan Schulman and Buck Martinez is that of Wayne Randazzo. Uh, it turns out he's the Angels play-by-play voice as well, and he does the Apple TV Friday Night Baseball, and he gets this nice little synergy of, ah, why not do the Angels uh, on Friday Night Baseball and then just pivot back to Bally Sports West for the rest of the weekend. We'll talk to Wayne next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. A couple days out from the trade deadline. Jays have a very big series uh, before they get there. Los Angeles Angels in town. Uh, Gosman Giolito tonight down at Rogers Center. Reminder, it's an Apple TV Plus game. So not on Sportsnet Television, but we'll have it for you here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rest of the series takes place as usual. We'll have Alec Manoa against Reed Detmers on Saturday. And then with a noon start Sunday, Jose Brios against Tyler Anderson. Of course, the thing that hangs over uh, all of this is the trade deadline. 
the Toronto Blue Jays, we all assume will be adding. And as has often been the case with this franchise, there's not a lot of buzz. Sometimes the Jays will get used like the Raptors do um, as the, you know, Hey, this team is also interested to drive the market up. And then it usually turns out that the moves they actually make were not ones that were heavily rumored to begin with. Now there are rumors out there. Um, You know, everyone seems to want, Jordan Hicks, if the Cardinals don't work out an extension with him and end up trading him, there were, of course, a handful of deals already. David Robertson getting dealt from the Mets to the Marlins yesterday for a pair of prospects. Uh, Carlos Santana getting dealt from the Pirates to the Brewers for a fringy prospect. Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez going from the White Sox to the Angels for a pair uh, pair of high-end prospects. Then some other you know, challenge trades Ahmed Rosario for Noah Syndergaard, Dylan Floro for Jorge Lopez, uh, Kike Hernandez to the Dodgers for uh, some fringy prospect as well. Um, so, oh, and then of course, uh, Trent Thornton to the Mariners uh, for Mason McCoy coming back and joining AAA Buffalo. If you missed it before the break there, by the way, Ricky Tiedemann uh, going to single A Dunedin now as he continues his rehab from a biceps injury. Uh, he threw last Friday in the complex league. He'll throw presumably sometime this weekend uh, for single a Dunedin. Also keep an eye out. Uh, Chad green should be due for another rehab appearance sometime soon. That triple a team is a must read the box score for lately, just because of how guys are bouncing around all over the diamond. And there's a ton of, you know, intrigue around which if any of those guys uh, could potentially be dealt Nate Pearson, by the way, uh, made a triple A appearance yesterday. It was not a good day for the pitching side of the triple. It wasn't a good day for that triple A team overall. They were, they lost five to one, uh, only had three hits. Cam Eden, who is uh, not on the 40 man, but an interesting name. If you are looking at potential speed additions, like Mike Petriello is of MLB.com. He said, Hey, the Jays are, you know, they grayed out as pretty mediocre on the base pass. Not bad, but not good either. Um, someone who could, possibly add some of that oomph is cam eden he's stolen 40 bases on the year for buffalo not a huge hit tool there but i've also heard from multiple people that he's probably the best defensive outfielder in the system so if you're looking at a guy who is not currently in the mix who could fill that jordan luplo nathan lucas role if one of those guys were to you know be dfa'd at some point or, or dealt or something like that uh, cam eden as a speed and defense guy Also uh, a potential name to keep in mind. Uh, And sorry, I was talking about the pitchers. Uh, Zach Pop gave up three runs over an inning. Uh, ZRA down at AAA now up to 782 as he continues to struggle uh, in his comeback from that injury that that sidelined him earlier in the year. And then Nate Pearson uh, didn't allow an earned run over one and two thirds, but he did walk three batters uh, to his four strikeouts. So not the uh, not the greatest of days down there. Uh, The New Hampshire Fisher Cats continuing to to move things in the right direction. Uh, Chad Dallas had another rough start. We've talked a lot about Chad Dallas when we've had Doug Fox on a couple times throughout the year. One of the guys who has raised his stock the most this year, but he's coming back down to earth uh, lately. His second time through the double a circuit, um, starting to show some, some warts a little bit there. Uh, another name we've talked about a, a couple of times is Mason Flurity, who is a, a relief pitching prospect who was drafted in 2022 is already all the way up to double a. Uh, he threw two innings in that game and struck out five batters. So uh, not someone on the major league radar right now, but someone who could presumably be in the mix for a bullpen spot, you know, midway point of next year or something like that. I'll try to do a better job in the second half 
uh, of, I guess it's the second half of Jays Talk Plus since we started in late May. Um, anyway, keeping an eye on those minor league box scores and updating you when we have moments like this. Um, yeah, the prospect stuff is very interesting this time because I, I'm sure there are some of you listening who get excited about those prospects and look ahead to a Blue Jays roster that has some holes in it or, or what you know the, the roster could look like a year, two years down the line. And then some of you are like, great, awesome. He had a good game, trade him. Value's high. Let's get him out of here. Uh, let's go. And that's, uh, that's completely fair. This is the time of year for that. Um, and you know, as we've talked about a couple times with guests this week, prospect value in the eye of the beholder, uh, team's probably not going to get fooled by small sample stat lines, uh, but heavy, heavy scouting time. And there have been strong scouting presences at a couple of Fisher cats and Vancouver Canadians games recently. Uh, I'm told. So that's, uh, that's worth keeping an eye on, uh, as well. We're going to talk to Wayne Randazzo in a minute here. Uh, he is calling the game tonight on Apple TV Plus, And he's the Angels play-by-play guy. Um, I, I think we're having some trouble connecting with him. Uh, so we might have to pivot off of that. But I, I have a few mailbag questions that we saved from earlier in the week. We, we kind of made a stockpile of those. And we can continue to go through some of those. So we'll do that now. We'll keep it on uh, the deadline for... Right now, uh, we might get to some non-deadline stuff a little later in the hour. So um, there were a couple, actually, I'll call these pre-deadline. So Rob from Vancouver had asked the other day, and we touched on it a little bit on the Mitch White side, but not necessarily the Nate Pearson side. And Rob in Vancouver asked, keeping Pearson over White, and I think he meant keeping White over Pearson, uh, just shows management is not serious about winning this year. Um, Rob, I, I don't think it shows anything whatsoever about their seriousness about winning this year. Um, you're talking about two guys at the back of the bullpen there, one who has options, one who doesn't. And Nate Pearson, by all accounts, uh, they've wanted, they want him to go down and work on some of his breaking ball stuff. Again, he walked three guys yesterday. Uh, he did strike out a bunch, but he has some stuff to work on. Really though, this is just an impatient text line question. The deadline's Tuesday. You don't DFA a guy right before the deadline. If you think there's even a 0.01% chance that that 40 man spot resolves itself or there is some sort of market for him. Um, while Nate Pearson is working on stuff, you send him down. And if that's not, you know, your for the week here, your bullpen is not absolutely optimized. That is true. Um, but when you're this close to the deadline, the kind of roster management of it, it does not signal you're not serious about winning. Uh, it just says that, hey, you got to have, you got to keep flexibility and what might happen over the next couple of days in mind. Chris in Orangeville had also asked about potentially including Mitch White as a sweetener in a deal uh, for something else. Now, I, I don't know that at this point, Mitch White is sweet. Um, there's not a lot of saccharin left there, but yes, potentially a team that is not competitive right now could see a spot for Mitch White where they can give him a little more rope. They can give him more opportunity. He is very controllable for a handful of years still. If you can get anything out of him whatsoever, he's absolutely a new landing spot candidate. I just don't think it goes too far in a deal for you. That's deadline stuff. We'll get to some more texts later in the show. Uh, right now, we're joined by the voice of Friday Night Baseball on Apple TV Plus tonight. He is the voice of the Angels on Valley Sports West as well. It's Wayne Randazzo. Wayne, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am. Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm curious. As uh, I mean, first of all, the transition this year to being the play-by-play voice of the Angels. How's it been going? How much fun are you having? Well, it's good. I mean, you know, you get to see. Um... Shohei Otani do what he does uh, every day in and day out. And, you know, it's, it's incredible. Uh, you know, when you see him in person 
on a daily basis and you take in everything that he does and, and goes through to get ready and, and prepare in the way that he does to be great at both being a starting pitcher and, and a hitter, it's unbelievable. I mean, it really defies what, what you think a, a player is capable of. I mean, think about the greatest pitchers. Let me think about the guy who's pitching for Toronto tonight, Kevin Gosman, how good he is as a starting pitcher and what he does in between those starts to prepare himself to get ready and show he's doing all of that, but he's also hitting bombs in between <laughs> every day. I mean, it's he's the major league leader in home runs in between those starts. It really just defies logic at this point what, what he does and how he does it. It really does. And we run into days like yesterday where there's a doubleheader and he throws a one hitter in the first part and homers twice in the second part. Um, you know, the answer to this is probably no. But do you start to run out of superlatives for Otani at any point here, 100 games in? No, you know, I don't know. You still try to find ways to find it, I guess. And, and, and the next milestone and the next thing that he does. And I mean, I, I think just letting your own awe tell the story um, speaks for everybody because we're all in, in, in all of Shohei. I, I, I think that in, in baseball in particular, uh, fans always think about the past, always think about Willie Mays or Mickey Mantle or Nolan Ryan or whoever, whatever, whatever great, iconic, historic player you think of. And uh, sometimes the, the current players get lost in that. They, they get pushed to the side. Well, yeah, so-and-so is great, but I remember watching so-and-so back in, in my day. And I think Shohei is, is really a, someone who can transform that level of thought into really appreciating the modern player. And uh, I think that really begins with Shohei Otani and appreciating what we may never see again and what we've really only seen with him. It's pretty remarkable, and it's very, very special day today. Um, I thought that was well said about you know reflecting on the history of the game and using Shohei as a as a means of that. Um, Wayne, I know you got to call a pretty historic home run when Albert Pujols hit his 700th, um, and this is you know probabilistically Otani might not get there, but there's a chance he makes a chase for 62 here in the in the stretch run. H have you let yourself think about that at all? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, especially now the Angels have decided to keep him, and we know he's going to be uh, around to the end of the season, and he, he busts out two home runs yesterday. He's not that far off. Uh, he's very close to the pace that Aaron Judge set last year. You know, Judge went off in the in the final couple of months, and, you know, it takes a lot to get to 60 or 62 in Judge's case last year. And, uh, you know, he, he even had a lull there toward the end between 61 and 62 before he finally broke uh, the American League record, um, you know, which is, I think, in and of itself is kind of a funny way to look at it because you're really putting the American League record as the standstill record because of, of the way the, the National League record was set uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s. But uh, I do think Shohei has a shot because of the way that he's just crushing the ball. I mean, these, are, these home runs generally are long and far. They, they are majestic home runs. You know, he leads the majors by far and away, and home runs hit over 440 feet. Uh, I think yesterday's was in that neighborhood. It was a, just a line drive, so it might not have had the distance, but it was another majestic shot. So he's not getting cheated. He's not slowing down, and I think he's only going to get enhanced by when whenever Mike Trout comes back. You know, Trout's on the IL right now. He's working hard to come back, and, and in the next couple of weeks, I would expect Mike to be in there, and that's only going to make Shohei stronger. 
over the final several weeks of the season. This is uh, maybe a little inside baseball here, Wayne, but uh, is Shohei generally an early batting practice guy, a later batting practice guy? Uh, my, my intention is assuming that that cramping he left with yesterday doesn't uh, limit him today and tomorrow. I, I would love to catch a Shohei BP session. Uh, is he uh, is he quite a show when it comes to that as well? He is, but he doesn't, he doesn't like to put on that show. You know, he's only taken batting practice a few times this year on the field Ah. and they have been very almost like he's trolling everybody when he does it because (laughs) he did it he did it at yankee stadium he did it at fenway park um and he did it against the dodgers i think that was a that, that was a home game though so he's only done it against the Red Sox, the Dodgers and the Yankees. And I think what those teams have in common, they're all teams that can afford them uh, <laughs> when the season is over and he's a free agent. So I think he is very strategic about when he puts on that batting practice show and uh, considering also that he's pitching in this series or that he's not pitching in the series. He just did pitch, you know, maybe, uh, maybe there's a small chance that he puts one on in Toronto, but Unless the Blue Jays are on that list of teams that could make he, maybe make a real run at him in the offseason, I don't think he'll take batting practice on the field. I mean, they they could, they should, but I don't uh, I don't know that we'll get that. We'll 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 hope for it. Um, so you mentioned, you know, the Angels have signaled they're going for it here. They're not going to trade Shohei Otani. They they pick up Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez for a pair of pretty high end prospects. To you know, based on the the kind of pro- prospect rankings around baseball, um, how. How big an addition could Giolito be for, for a rotation that, yes, has Shohei, has a Patrick Sandoval, Reed Detmers, but, um, you know, it, it, it has felt at times like the Angels rotation was missing that that kind of top-end stuff that Giolito has shown at times in the past and for a good chunk of this year. Yeah, I think with, with Giolito, what you get is consistency. I think with the other, the other guys, aside from Shohei, Sandoval, Detmers, Griffin Canning has kind of emerged again this year what those guys have lacked is consistency. They, they have not been consistent at all. And, uh, you know, it, you see, even within their own starts, even within one game, you'll see canning the other day, he struck out five batters in the first two innings, but ran a high pitch count and he only lasted five innings. You'll see that too with Detmers. He'll strike out a lot of hitters within a game, but he'll run up the pitch count. He won't go deep in the game. He'll give up a few runs there's too much inconsistency with those guys, at least right now. They have the stuff to be top top line starting pitchers. They just haven't been able to put it all together over the course of this season. And then with Giolito, you get someone who's just consistent, who's going to give you a, a durable outing every time. You know he's going to take the ball. You know he's going to go six or seven innings and be in a game. I, he's not going to dominate. He's not necessarily a guy who is going to be, uh, you know, a sub three ERA and and rack up a ton of strikeouts. But I think he's a really good major league pitcher, and I think he fits in nicely this rotation because they've they've sort of underachieved from a pitching standpoint. And that goes for Ronaldo Lopez too, because the bullpen is also underachieved, and there hasn't been a lot of trust with a lot of the guys down there, except for maybe Carlos Estevez and and Matt Moore and, and a couple other guys at times, but the consistent go-to value has been missing from the bullpen. So it's a good trade. The angels needed more pitching. They probably still need a little more, at least in the bullpen. Uh, we'll see if they, they have uh, another deal in them here in the next few days, but it was, it was, I think wise to not only bring in those guys to help the pitching, but to do it before this series, this is a huge series mm-hmm. for the angels. They're three back right now behind the blue Jays. 
they need to come into Toronto and make a statement. And to have Giolito make one of the starts, I think, is important for them. I think so as well. And it was certainly notable that he's going to start this opener here opposite Kevin Gosman instead of, you know, working him in in a, in a different spot or even into Detroit. So it should be a, a fascinating weekend here. Um, you know, it, you, you mentioned they could use a little more pitching help, at, at least in the bullpen. Um, you know, when it comes to what they could maybe use on the hitter side, I personally have a little bit of trouble figuring it out just because there are so many guys on the IL who will return at some point and to what level, who knows um, is what is the confidence level like around that angels team that whenever Mike Trout is back, he'll be able to be, you know, a, a version of Mike Trout closer to what we've experienced in the past versus the one who was, you know, struggling a little bit before he hit the IL this year. Yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting season for Trout because you look at his numbers and they are not what they usually are, but he still has an 860 OPS. He still had a pretty good year. He was a deserving all-star. And unfortunately for him, he, he couldn't make the all-star game. Um because of the injury. But I think that even if they get the version of Mike that they had in the first half, they would still be very sad at that. He's still uh, is a very good player and still someone that they can rely on. Um, you know, at, at this point, when he comes back, it's, you know, he has to manage his whatever pain he has from the hand surgery and um, the broken bone that he suffered. And, you know, he wants to win. They're, if they're in this thing when he comes back, which they should be, I would think that he's going to really put himself out there in a, in a way that maybe he hasn't in a long time to try to get this team to to the playoffs. So they're 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 close. They've made the moves. I think we saw yesterday a team that looked very confident after the a vote of confidence from the front office that we're not trading Shohei, we're adding to this team. Go get it. And and yesterday they dominated Detroit in a doubleheader sweep. Going to be a different animal in this series playing the Blue Jays. It's a much tougher opponent, but uh, I think the Angels uh, feel like that everything is in front of them and, and they control their own destiny. Yeah, big uh, adjustment from the front office direction-wise and, and what this roster looks like. Uh, Wayne, you have a small adjustment tonight going from the Bally Sports West play-by-play -play, uh, call for the Angels to the Friday Night Baseball on Apple TV Plus call of the Angels. Do you make an adjustment there? Do you do you just stick to your game? What's the What's the prep like for you today versus a normal day? Yeah, the prep will be similar um, just because, you know, obviously with the familiarity of the Angels and just brush up on a, on a Blue Jays team I've already seen a few times this year, um, you know, brush up on the starting pitchers, especially with Giolito coming over and, and, and Gosman. But, um, you know, the call is different. I, I think when you're, when you have, a, when you're calling a team with a regional network, uh, you know, you're slanted toward that team. You're not, not necessarily overly biased you don't want to be a homer but you certainly are someone who's leaning toward the team that you're working for and calling the games for and I, in in this instance when it's it's your team but on a national broadcast uh you know you do have to kind of even it out a little bit more and 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 really sway to both teams and and skew to the big moments that happen within the game you know it's not terribly difficult because you know you sense the big moments anyway um, you know, there's a way to use your voice to call up a, a big moment for the opposing team uh, that still, I think, makes it sound like something big happened. So just kind of evening that out between the two teams, um, you know, so you're not over the top either way is um, is something I'll have to pay attention to tonight. But, you know, I love doing Friday Night Baseball. It's, it's really fun to see the teams around the league and 
um, you know, get to know the uh, the managers. We have a manager meeting every Friday with with both managers, and uh, it's, it's a lot of learning and insight that I would normally get just doing the Angels. So glad to, to be a part of it, and, and it'll be a fun one tonight. Yeah, and I'd imagine, uh, you know, if you're a golf guy at all, I'm sure with an off day yesterday, it was beautiful here in Toronto. John Schneider got a round in, so you, you can you can chop it up with him uh, <laughs> about that as well. Rain, Wayne Randazzo, uh, looking forward to uh, hearing you on the call tonight on Friday Night Baseball on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time out. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Wayne Randazzo, voice of the Angels on Valley Sports West, and tonight calling Jays Angels on Apple TV Plus Friday Night Baseball. Uh, of course, that means no game on Sportsnet Television. We'll also have it for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network, though. Ben Schulman and Madison Shipman uh, doing that one. Show Ali is your in-game host, and he'll have Jays talk for you after the game. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll head to Baseball Prospectus. We'll talk to their editor-in-chief, Craig Goldstein. Uh, we will answer some of the last remaining questions from uh, the mailbag that we've been gathering over the week. Um, I am not looking in the text line today just because we've had so many to catch up on, uh, but I'm sure there'll be more opportunity for that Monday and Tuesday, potentially talking about some uh, some new Toronto Blue Jays. We'll see. Jeff Blair thinks it might happen this weekend instead of grinding it out right to the buzzer Tuesday at 6 p.m. Just in case, though, we'll have extended hours next week on Jay's Talk Plus uh, to make sure we've got all the deadline stuff covered. We'll take a break. Craig Goldstein of Baseball Prospectus joins us next on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Anyway, trade deadline coming up. Jays, Angels tonight. Got one of the most absurd texts we've ever received in the text line about uh, the owners should stop Shohei from being able to hit and pitch in the same game. Uh, They made a rule to allow that and to allow him to stay in the game as DH after he comes out as a pitcher. It's the Shohei Otani rule. It's because it rules and it's good for baseball and the owners make more money if everyone is tuning in because Shohei rocks. Uh, a little surprised we got to answer that one, but uh, there you are. It is a uh, silly season in trades and in Shohei reactions, I suppose. Um, someone who is more than happy to lean into the silliness of silly season here at deadline time uh, joins us now. He's the editor-in-chief of Baseball Perspectives. It's Craig Goldstein. Craig, how are you, buddy? I, I'm doing great. How could I do any better than being introed in with, uh, with a little fastball? I know, not a one-hit wonder, right? That's the that's the <laughs> hill we're on here. They had that was one of the silly, speaking of silly. That was one of the silliest reactions I've ever. I said they're they're at least a two-hit wonder, and I got like reamed out over people saying you're not including this song as a hit, and I'm like, well, no, it didn't even chart. But I'm glad you <laughs> like it. I like them too, but it's okay. We're just talking hits. We're talking charted hits here. Yeah, that's uh, that's what you that's the way to look at it is, is you have to I think you have to chart for it to not be a one. Even if you have bangers, those are not hits. Hits is a measure of success. Bangers and hits are very different. Exactly. exactly. This is like stat cast stats versus baseball card stats. You know, you can hit the ball really hard, <laughs> but if it's right into a glove, it's right into uh, a glove. OK, Craig, 
it is uh it's deadline time we're starting to see some moves come in I, i'm curious you guys at baseball prospectus and i know you have jeff uh, paternostro there on, on the prospect side heading things up um is it like a little bit of competitiveness for you guys right now when you see a baseball prospectus ranking or a baseball America or an MLB pipeline ranking cited? Like, are you, are you watching your friends in the industry to see who cites what? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, a little bit, right? Everyone wants their recognition and, and I have to give it to Jeff uh, Paternostro, as you said, our lead prospect writer, this, this most recent trade with David Robertson, Marco Vargas. Most people hadn't heard of Marco Vargas. I hadn't heard of Marco, Marco Vargas really until this offseason when he ranked him seventh in the Marlin system ahead of their first-round pick. They had a top-ten pick, this, uh, you know, not this draft, but the one before in 2022. And Jeff ranked Marco Vargas seventh in their system, two spots ahead of Jacob Berry, their, their top overall pick in the 2022 draft. And I said, whoa. Like, what's going on with this? But he really believed in, in the bat-to-ball, and uh, he, he made an aggressive, you know, decision. This was a, this was a kid who signed for, I think, $17,500, right? This isn't a big-name, you know, international free agent. This isn't like your Vlad Guerrero IFA signing, right? This, is, this, this was someone who didn't get a ton of uh, bonus money, and so it was an aggressive move, and I, I hadn't really been aware of him. And then midseason, our, our midseason 50 list came out about two weeks ago, and uh, Jeff wrote in a, in a follow-up kind of 10-pack, we, we let our prospect team kind of disagree with where our rankings settle and, and get their you know, individual opinions off. And Jeff said, look, it's my list, but I would have loved to find a, a spot for Marco Vargas. He's not quite there, but he could become come the offseason. And, you know, a couple weeks later, he's, he's the complex league bat that they're acquiring for David Robertson. So it's very cool when people, you know, make a, make a stand on something like that and then, you know, see it play out in, in another team uh, making an acquisition. It's always good to be cited, but we also have a lot of respect for, for our quote unquote competition. We're friendly with a lot of these people. Uh, and, and really it's, it's one of those things where I don't think you should be reading any one person. You should be reading everybody. And I, I think that's great perspective. And I think that that, you know, hammer the, the reading everybody thing. Yeah. With, with something like, um, you know, the second piece in the, in the Giolito deal, you ranked anywhere from third to ninth in the system, right? Like there is a, a healthy disagreement on just how good guys are. And it's, it's also, I think your answer there about Jeff's process with Vargas or just looking at a couple different outlets is a helpful reminder that there isn't like the front offices are looking at these things differently as well. People within the same front office, people within different front offices, uh, the values kind of in the eye of the beholder there. Um, so in the eye of the beholder, and I'm going to pivot hard off the prospects here. You did really, you really didn't seem to enjoy this Jays Dodgers series uh, this week. It was a, a lot of hate tweeting about, about the way that series was going down between those two teams. Uh, what did you make of that series overall? I, I am a fatal, so I'm a Dodgers fan. I am a fatalistic fan. I, I try and process uh, disappointment ahead of time so it's easier when it happens, and then I'm delighted if it, if it, if it doesn't. So that's, that's just kind of my process. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it's, both of these teams are uh, good. They are, uh, they are objectively good teams, but very frustrating in specific ways, right? And that one, the one game that the Dodgers <laughs> managed to pull out in this series was an absolute train wreck of a game, just <laughs> kind, of, kind of everywhere, you know what I mean, on both sides. Now, they, they pulled it out. They ended up winning on just a ridiculous kind of ninth and tenth inning, but it was kind of a mess the whole time. 
but I but I think it's just one of those. This series, it's just these teams are they have specific flaws and specific things that come up, but that's just who they are. Like it's not really going to change necessarily. It's it's just kind of who they are. It's in their DNA right now, and so it it made for I think a silly and frustrating experience. I think for people on both sides. I was going back on social media, uh, going back and forth with some Jays people, and it was just we were we were both kind of laughing at the teams we root for. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I do know what you mean. And it's, uh, you know, the the Dodgers are always an interesting one because obviously there's been so much success, but only the one World Series. You know, you're in the playoffs every year. You spend big, you're aggressive in trade, you have a terrific farm system, but all but one World Series has eluded you. Now, the Dodgers have started to do some work early here. Uh, Enrique Hernandez, Ahmed Rosario, uh, we're starting to hear, you know, maybe they could be aggressive trying to trying to nudge the Cardinals along on a Nolan Arenado. Uh, that's maybe aiming a little bit too high, but how aggressive do you anticipate? You know, I, I think we're all pretty set at this point on, yeah, Dodgers equal aggressive at the deadline. Is that how you're feeling heading into this, like, like the Rosario and Hernandez things, those are red herrings, right? <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I, I kind of think I, I, I'm a little bit surprised about the, the firmness with which we're hearing about Arenado. We've seen the LA times report on it. We've seen John Morosi report on it. Uh, I, I think uh, they were talking about it. Tom Verducci was talking about it on MLB network. That was a lot more heat than I expected. I, I'm sure they're going to, kick tires and, and, and they're going to ask and be aggressive in, in who they ask after. I, but heading into this trade deadline season, I did not think they were going to be hyper aggressive in terms of anything other than these kind of lower level moves. I mean, Enrique Hernandez, I think is just a kind of a vibes play kind of get him out of Boston, bring him back to LA, see if you can fix something because he's been one of the worst everyday players in the majors when, when he's been healthy this year. Uh, Rosario, there's a little bit more to it. He has hit, even though he's not been great, I think baseball references war has him as a replacement level guy. We have him a little bit better than that. 1.3 wins above replacement player warp our stat, but either way he, he can hit righties. Even, even if you don't like his defense, even if you don't, uh, sorry, he can hit lefties as a right-handed bat, which is what the Dodgers need. So he's got an 822 OPS against left-handed pitching this year. That's something the Dodgers really need. They, they have been in situations where they're pinch hitting Miguel Rojas uh, against left-handed pitching late in games and crucial situations. And that's just something that's going to be a problem for them. And I think we saw that in the Jays series, right? We saw Hennessy's Cabrera, who they picked up for very little, uh, came in and threw three innings over two games back-to-back and absolutely shut down this Dodgers team. Uh, and credit to Cabrera, but some of that is the Dodgers just don't have a ton of great right-handed bats to face left-handed pitching at the moment. They sure don't, and so they're shopping in some of the same markets that the Blue Jays are shopping in, where the Jays could use a, a right-handed bat as well, whether it's someone who can spell in at second base or, or maybe in left field, uh, maybe both. Uh, what were your impressions of the Blue Jays from that series? I'm always curious to hear, you know, we go, I, I think this is the case with any any fan base or market you go through the day-to-day you look at the record 57 and 46 and here it can feel like it's been held to get the 57 and 46 but you visit a team like the Dodgers you take two or three maybe someone watching through the Dodgers lens feels differently um, what were your impressions of the Jays here at the kind of two-thirds market and heading into the deadline I think the, the, the Jays are 
what they have been, which I think is frustrating, right? And it's it's frustrating now. They, I, I said in a transaction analysis I wrote that I feel like they've been an up-and-coming team for four years now, three and a half years at this point. And when you've been that same kind of vibe in terms of every every year going into the season, I think, you know, this is Toronto's going to put it together this year. And it's not that they've been bad, but you keep waiting for them to take that next step, the step that it seems like the Orioles have taken this year where the you know Orioles are, are one of the best teams in baseball. And I keep thinking Toronto's going to get there, but certain things keep popping up. Generally, it's been the bullpen. I don't really think it's the bullpen this year. I, it's great that they got Cabrera, a second lefty behind Meza, who gave up his first home run of the season in that Dodgers series. But between Romano, Swanson, Meza, Richards, Jimmy Garcia, this, this bullpen unit has performed generally pretty well. I understand sequencing is always part of it. Hmm. I, I think what the days need, you know, you mentioned, I, I talked to Robert Orr, who wrote a kind of a, a deadline options piece for us today. And I know has, have, has talked to you before. And he said, you know, lefty fastballs and lefty breaking balls have really been what's given the Jays trouble in general right now. But Jordan Luplo just came back. And I know no one's jumping out of their seat in excitement over Jordan Luplo, but he's, what he's done his whole career is mash lefty pitching, fastballs and breaking balls. He's got an 835 career OPS, uh, just shy of a 500 slugging against lefties his, his career. And again, he's been recent, he's been acquired at the deadline a lot because he does this one thing really well. It's a short side platoon bat. It's not super exciting, but to your point about potentially acquiring a, a left fielder or someone who can hit lefties, I think they're probably going to view Jordan Luplo as that, as that solution. Um, but, yeah, I, I think what it comes down to, and this is not from the Dodgers series because I didn't see either of these pitchers in the Dodgers series. I think the Dodgers got a little lucky, even though they lost two out of three and it should have been a sweep, is it comes down to whether Alec Manoa can be – I don't think he's got to be Alec Manoa of two years ago, but can he be Alec Manoa of last year peripherally? Can, can he do that? You know, it's nice to see Jose Barrios uh, taking that step back towards, towards what he's been before, but – after Kevin Gossman, who do you want starting the next game in a series? And I think that's the thing that Toronto has to answer. And I think the scary part is we talked about Vargas at the top of this, this segment, but the scary part is pitching is so expensive. We talked about the Dodgers getting Rosario. They got something for Noah Syndergaard, who's like not a major league quality pitcher anymore. So I think the hard part is if you're looking to slot in a number two, you're, you're going to have to pay a lot, a lot. Because we just saw Lucas Giolito is not really a number two, and he got our number 37 prospect in our midseason 50, plus Kai Bush. Uh, David Robertson is a rental, and he got a guy who's just, you know in the top 75 or so of our, of our midseason process. It's, it's going to be really pricey to get someone to slot into the front end of a rotation, and the, and the reality is not many of those guys are even available. And I, I don't think the Jays will be shopping it in that particular part, honestly. And some of that is cost and some of that is just focusing the assets elsewhere. I'm curious, Craig, though, as you look at how the American League looks now in a post-Giolito to the Angels uh, world, you, you obviously have Texas, Houston, and the Angels all going forward in the AL West, potentially even the Mariners as well. We'll see how aggressive they are over the next couple of days. Uh, you've got five teams in the AL East, either in playoff spots or within two and a half games of one. Um, can we abolish the AL Central? And is there uh, are there any teams from that list in the in the East or the West that you are 
you know, particularly interested by these next couple of days or even not even interested? Would you, which of those teams would you like to see mo- be most aggressive? Uh, you know, I think as you were answering there about top end starting pitching and the price tags, I was kind of thinking, yeah, but the Orioles have the depth to do that. Why not them? Um, what do you make of the AL playoff picture in general? Yeah, I think we could, you know, it's funny. People talk about expansion coming to the to major leagues in, in a few years. And it's like, can we support the central? Can we get a, get a charity drive for the central? What's happening here? I think in both leagues, I mean, you know, this is the NL central has, has one team with a run differential over, you know, over zero. I, I think it's, it's a tough situation. So yeah, I think we can abolish the central at this point. I, it's, it's one of those things that again, it messes with the, the whole playoff, assignment uh, scenario in terms of seeding too, right? We saw this last year where it was like better to be the sixth seed than it was the five or, five or the four seed in terms of who you end up facing. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think they need a, to work on something like that because of how the Central routinely underperforms. In terms of the Orioles, uh, I think the Orioles or the Rays, you know, if Shohei Otani was on the market, they should have been, they sh- those two teams should have been really aggressive, in part because he's never going to sign with them in the offseason. Those two teams are never going to sign someone of his caliber uh, of the contract that he's going to be seeking, but you can acquire them in season and, and it means a lot. And they both had the farm systems to do it. The Orioles especially have a need atop the rotation. The problem is these guys just aren't available. I mean, you know, Blake Snell, it doesn't seem like the Padres are, are, are moving anyone, right? It doesn't seem like they're going to quit on the season. So I don't know that they're necessarily going to make him available. And when you get past him, Marcus Stroman, Jordan Montgomery, Eduardo Rodriguez, these are kind of the top starting pitching names available after Giolito's gone. And none of these guys move the needle that way. Do I think the Orioles should still probably acquire some pitching? Absolutely. But I don't think it's going to be at the top of the market. I don't think it's going to be at the top of the rotation just because that's that's not what the market is really making available. And the cost for what you're getting is is just not good. We saw how kind of bloodless they are on value last year. Just a few games out of playoff contention they sold. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to be willing to move some of their top guys for rentals or, you know, non-top of the rotation rentals. Uh, so and, and I think every team is kind of in that situation that we're talking about uh, at this point. And that's what makes this a really tough deadline. And maybe what flows from that is, hey, starters aren't aren't super available. They're super expensive. Maybe we all just add one or two relievers. Um, you guys at Baseball Prospectus had a piece up this week kind of evaluating how effective deadline relief pitching ads are. And there's a lot of, you know, noise to sort through because guys are having breakout years and that's why they get dealt and they come back to earth or it's small samples and things like that. Uh, what should our takeaway be from Patrick's piece on, hey, are reliever ad additions at the deadline really all that meaningful? Yeah, I, Patrick Dubuque is the, the author, as you mentioned on this, and he, I, I got to be honest, I think he's an absolute genius, both mm-hmm. in terms of his analysis and his ability to write. So I just want to give him a shout out on that. I thought this was a really interesting piece. And I think it's a gamble, honestly, most teams know that they're making to some degree. I, I think these guys, we see them come in and, and look as good as Josh Hader has been this year. When he was acquired by San Diego last year, it took him like a month to settle down to, to, to fix things. And then he was great. It was probably worth it for them in the playoffs. He was very good for them. But 
you know, they were still in playoff spot. I mean, they barely made the playoffs. And some of that was because he blew some really big games right after being traded. And we saw Taylor Rogers not adapt to his new situation in Milwaukee when they were dealt for each other. So I, I think it's one of those things where it's, it's just not that simple to assume a guy is going to come in and be in, an, an impact arm. And it's exactly what you described and, and what Patrick describes in this piece, which is that we're dealing with in, in a good year, like 60 to 80 innings of, of a pitcher. And that's as, as Joe Sheehan likes to say, who's a, a founder of baseball perspectives and writes his own newsletter. Now uh, variance swamps, everything, right? It's just, there's so much potential variance in that. And when you're acquiring a sliver of that season, you're acquiring 20 innings, how much can it be really be worth it? And the answer is, of course it can. We've seen it before. Uh, as someone in the comments asked, what about Andrew Miller? Because this piece didn't go back that far. But Patrick said, yeah, Andrew Miller, both times he was traded, was like one of the most valuable relievers ever acquired at, at the deadline. And so obviously it can be really worth it. And I think teams need to do it. They need to try. But it's always a gamble, and it's always a risk that they know this guy is just going to come back to earth a little bit. And that's, that's not an accident. Uh, but but they, you know, they know going in it, it could potentially be an issue. So – uh, gauge your your expectations uh, appropriately there if your team's in the market for uh, for a reliever. And, and hey, that cuts both ways in that the performance could be variable from here, but also don't be too hung up on necessarily what they've done so far this season because uh, teams are looking at things beneath the hood. I think particularly of a Carlos Hernandez from the, the Royals bullpen, who yeah. everyone seems to like despite the ERA. Uh, Craig Goldstein, thanks well, so much. I, I, I'll, I'll oh, sorry, give you another example. Aaron Bummer has been bad yep. this year. He's got a six ERA, but he's had multiple years of, of being very good. And I think if if Chicago wants to trade him, uh, he's on a long-term deal, so they might, but but they might not. But but if they want to trade him, I, someone is going to look to fix something with him or just get him back to what he was before, and you could potentially have an elite ground ball lefty reliever in someone like that. And it just takes, you know, getting into a new situation, getting a new voice in your ear sometimes, or just regressing back to your previous standard. His is very high, but he's been bad. You can't, you can't always just look at the surface stats when you're, when you're dealing with a reliever trade uh, mid season. They are messy and noisy and interchangeable, but a whole bunch of them will fly around uh, in the next couple of weeks and uh, next couple of days rather. And we'll try to make heads or tails of it. Uh, Craig Goldstein, editor in chief at baseball prospectus. Thanks for taking the time out this morning, buddy. And you guys keep up all the great work. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Blake. Great to talk to you. Craig Goldstein, editor in chief baseball prospectus. Uh, we got a few minutes left here in the show reminder that it's an Apple TV plus game tonight, Friday night baseball. So we won't have a sports TV broadcast being checked the game out on the sports net radio network. It is Kevin Gosman against Lucas Giolito. That is a wild card game one matchup. If I've ever heard of one, I uh, will see if the Los Angeles angels can make that push the three games back. And obviously if you're the Toronto blue Jays, uh, you need to make sure that their playoff push doesn't come at your expense. The Jays enter this weekend, um, in the, the final wild card spot, uh, a game back of Houston, four games back of Tampa Bay for the top wild card spot. And then, uh, of course, only five and a half back of Baltimore in the division. And you're in this. I, I know there are some listeners who um, have already started, I, I think, half jokingly be like, yeah, third wild card. That's the target. So you get uh, the AL Central winner. Uh, the division's too close. It's too within reach to, to play that game anyway. Jay's going to make... Probably 
we assume uh, an addition or two between now and the deadline. We've got a couple questions in the text line that we can continue uh, to go through to close the show out here. We'll do more of that uh, next week as well. So if I haven't gotten to yours this week, I apologize. There's a huge list of names to talk about as well that will will chip them off as they get moved. Um, Jay's Retro in St. Thomas uh, asks if Verlander could be a realistic target. He's talked openly about the past uh, in the past about nearly signing with the Jays. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a realistic one. It's a it's a ton of money still owed to him. He has a no trade, so he can kind of dictate his own uh, landing spot. But I don't know if the Mets were just looking to get out of the salary. It's uh it's not my money, so I can say that it's just money. And I, I don't know that the prospect hall would be significant when he's owed, you know, some 60 plus million uh, on his deal still. Uh, Steph from Quebec asks if Ryu could be traded to a buying team, uh, kind of a coin flip and not expensive. I, I don't think so. I think Ryu is going to give this team a, a little bit of a shot in the arm personality wise. I think it's a nice story. I think honestly, the value on a 35, 36 year old coming back from Tommy John would just be too low where all you're really doing is either getting out of the last little bit of the money owed to him or clearing uh, the roster spot. I'd be, I'd be pretty surprised uh, if that happened. Speaking of things I'd be surprised by uh, Riley from Temis gaming asks about Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, he's been relegated to a split time role with Ryan O'Hearn in Baltimore. And he's historically been a Jays killer. Would the O's consider moving him in division? Um, probably not. And it's fascinating to think, you know, you acquire the Jays killer so you don't have to face him and could a righty bat who hits lefties well in a kind of platoon role uh, who's had success at Rogers center. Like what does that make sense on paper? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, the tough part with Mountcastle, I think is uh, where do you play him? Because he is uh you know, I mean, they've played him in left field a little bit over the years, but not any time recently. And I, if I'm remembering right, that did not go well. So you're kind of talking about just the right-handed Brandon Belt, um, which is maybe worthwhile. I'm just not paying a ton for that. Joel from Calgary uh, said that he thinks Tim Anderson uh, could break out here. He started crushing the ball since the all-star break. His attitude could help the clubhouse and is for sure a change of scenery guy. And then he asks, um, could Joe Kelly or Liam Hendricks come along with Tim Anderson? You, you kind of do bulk shopping in one location. Now with Liam Hendricks, um, there's obviously the injury component. He's on the IL right now. Um, he's only pitched five innings this year as he brought his, fought his way back from cancer and, and then dealt has dealt with an arm thing. The other thing with Liam Hendricks is his pretty sizable option for next year uh, locks in if he gets traded. So you'd be looking at, I, I want to say 15 to 18 million for next season. If you traded for Liam Hendricks, I think that's probably riskier than the blue Jays are willing to be uh, Joe Kelly. Yeah. Why not? I mean, I think he, he hasn't had a very good season here, but we know who Joe Kelly is and what he can bring to a team. That's why there's a lot of interest in him around baseball uh, right now. Russ from Toronto says everyone's talking about the Cubs, but they're only a few games back of the wild card spot. Will Bellinger and Stroman even be available? It's a terrific question. I think this weekend will dictate some of that. The Cubs are only four games out. Uh, they've got a three set here against the Cardinals. Uh, the rest of this, the rest of the way this weekend, the Cardinals who are selling just maybe only selling uh expiring pieces. So the Cubs have a chance to stay hot here. They have a, a six game winning streak right now. They they've been uh, the hottest team in baseball over the last week or so. So it's a, it's a reasonable question. That Cardinals team, by the way, one of the more fascinating uh, potential sellers here, because uh, 
Yeah, I mean, they have not been good, and we've almost never seen that front office in cell mode. Uh, Jordan Hicks, Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, Tyler O'Neill. They've got some interesting pieces uh, if they do s- decide to be super aggressive as sellers instead of just uh, modestly aggressive. Um, Kyle and Woodstock asked about potentially including Yusei Kikuchi or Santiago Espinal in a deal. Um, so, you know, rem- pulling from the major league roster to upgrade at a different spot. I don't think so with Kikuchi. I think, uh, you know, what he's giving this team as a, as a fourth, fifth starter right now is important. I think if you're looking at the six man rotation crunch, he's the guy who you could most dream on being really, really effective in the bullpen. Uh, Espinal. Yeah. I I think that's uh, that's in the mix for sure. A few other questions about just random targets here and there. We'll continue to sprinkle those in uh, Monday and Tuesday with extended hours as we get ready for the deadline. Uh, Jays, Angels, Gosman, Giolito tonight at 7 down at Rogers Center. Blair and Barker have you 5-7 to seven to set that one up. Show Ali has it for you post-game. Uh, Jays talk. It is an Apple TV Plus game, so no TV broadcast, but we'll have it here with Ben Shulman and Madison Shipman on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, I am signing off. Gunning and McKee have you next. We will be back to talk to you Monday. Thanks to to Tristan, Frank, and Jeff behind the glass. Jeff Blair, Wayne Randazzo, Zach Kreiser, and Craig Goldstein for coming on. Have a great weekend.